Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today, we are at episode 96 of the podcast, and I'm titling it The Freight Market. This episode continues our occasional series in which we visit a business to try to understand how it works. Today, our guide will be Mandy Barton, who is the president and CEO of Barton Logistics. Mandy shares an interesting story with us that serves as a window into the movement of freight by truck, rail, and air in the U.S. Barton Logistics is a market maker in freight and sits at the intersection between its customers and their supply chains, its carriers, who operate one or more large trucks or other vehicles, and its trading partners. The business is located in central Texas, but it could have been located anywhere since it operates primarily as a call center using the telephone, email, and the internet. Let's pick up the story from there. We're here with Mandy Barton uh, in Bandera, Texas, just west of San Antonio. And Bandera is kind of a a rural location. How would you describe, Mandy, um, Barton Logistics to somebody that had never heard about it? Oh, we are a freight broker primarily. So a third-party logistics company handles multiple pieces of a customer's supply chain needs. Okay. Could be warehousing, could be the end transportation, could be um, delivering raw materials to assembly, could be taking from assembly to a distribution center. There's a lot of pieces in the supply chain, and a third-party logistics company covers more than one. And so Barton is a third-party logistics company. Correct. So you're you're dealing with surface freight, basically from trucks. Mm-hmm. But there's also we do rail. There's also rail. There's mm-hmm. also air. And we can how, how handle you, those pieces. How do you position yourself there? Um, we do primarily the truckload rail, um, but there's also full truckload and there's partial truckload and right. there's multiple stops and there's all sorts of different ways to skin that cat. And then we can secure air freight when needed and it's just not, not our normal everyday. Right. There might be times when something needs to go quickly and, and air would be... Right. And we um, maybe the only way we get and dip our feet into warehousing, cross docks, um, all sorts of things. So it depends on customer needs. Yeah. So we're here in Central Texas. Um, we're close to Mexico, and there's a lot of NAFTA type traffic mm-hmm. there. Uh, we're also right on right off of I-10, which is a lot of east-west and west-east kind of traffic. Is there any particular reason why? You're located here, or you just happen to grow up here? I grew up here, and once you drink the water, you get creative and figure out a way to live here. The quality of life is here, and because it's a, we're basically a call center, we can be anywhere. So it really doesn't matter where our customers are. And, of course, the Internet also makes it uh, ubiquitous wherever. We can do this from a mountaintop in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Tell us how you got started. Uh, Tell us the backstory of, of how did Barton Logistics come to be? Well, my first job out of college was with a third-party logistics company. I had answered every ad in the Austin American States when I got my bachelor's degree from the University of Texas at Austin. Three months later, I still didn't have a job, so I was going to um, work for a temp agency. I'd filled out all the paperwork when I got hired. I mean, I had applied for every job 
in the paper. Uh, I got hired as a manager trainee um, for a company called Caliber Logistics at the time. FedEx eventually bought them out. Um, and I, I began there. I and they were in Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was on site at a customer in Austin. They were headquartered in Ohio. And I was promoted a year later and moved to Ohio. So I got cold and really creative. Mm-hmm. And my full truckload breakers, brokers were giving me really bad service. So um, I actually quit my job um, to provide the service I wasn't getting as a customer. So you went and established your own Yes, when you're in your 20s and naive, you think you can do things like start trucking companies. Right. So you moved from Ohio back to Texas? Back to Texas, into my parents' dining room. They had just um, got me graduated and off on my own, and I moved back and took over their dining room for the office. And that was in Medina? In Medina. I'm sure they were thrilled. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? That was 97. 1997, okay. So bring us up to today then. Well, How the, the next year I moved into my parents owned the little car wash in Medina and there was a little storage room on the end. I moved my office into that storage room. So we were on our way up. And then I moved it into a Morgan building in the backyard. And, and then mm-hmm. I finally rented space about year five. <laughs> But how, how did you get the jobs, you know? You, you knew something, of course, because you were working for a, another company that, that did this kind of well, thing, but how do you? The, my big marketing strategy was just to never quit on the really tough loads, on the ones that everyone else, it was really easy to cover the Houston to Memphis, but nobody wanted the Amarillo to Timbuktu. Um, so when I was the customer or booking freight for my customer that I'd been assigned to, by my employer, uh, I was really frustrated with that. So I thought, if I just find one that doesn't quit, even if they can't find a truck, right? If I just know they're still working on it and they're not cherry picking my freight, I'm gonna give them all the good stuff too. They're gonna get all my Houston to Memphis. Um, so that was my strategy and it, and it worked. So these are the carriers. You're looking for carriers that won't quit on you. Brokers th- that find the carriers, yes. Okay. so. I think there's still some terms we're not quite understanding here. Uh, I looked at your website and you've got sort of three categories. You've got your customers, your carriers, and your brokers, I think. Brokers are in the middle there. Okay, so how does that work? Well, the problem with the more sophisticated clients, your big, um, your big retailers and your big manufacturers, they're all electronic. I mean, they're, they're tendering the freight electronically and 90, 85, 90% of the capacity in the U.S. is mom and pop trucking companies under 20 trucks. They can't do that electronic data interchange. And so I sit in the middle and I have the freight tendered electronically. It just dumps on us in mass. And we get on the cell phone individually with these drivers. So in a, in a sense, you're operating a market, a market between- And we are a market maker. Yeah. <laughs> we are. <laughs> And so that gives you a central position in this, this whole interchange, I guess you would say. So, you know, you've got the Amazons of the world that are mm-hmm. also a market in a way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an online market. But then once somebody buys something, it has to be transported. Right. And uh, the, what most don't understand is the transport, the actually driving it from A to B is 10% of it and the easiest part. It's all the information that has to be exchanged. Mm-hmm. And that's somewhat easier these days by the internet and the fact that you can 
have interchange protocols between computers um, okay. and servers and uh, apps and whatever else. You have to have the humans managing the exceptions, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's where you're, you position yourself as being the humans the that, human. that take care of the problems. Right. And the drivers like to talk to humans. Yeah, no, well, we all <laughs> like to talk the to humans. They're in the truck by themselves. They like to talk to humans. Right. right. And they may be introverted for the most part, but they like to talk to humans. Where do you see all of this going? Uh, well, I see us um, definitely going to robots, um, but they're still going to need the humans to direct the robots. So the robot, robots may be driving... Robot what? <laughs> robot, drivers, robot trucks. Trucks, trucks. Yeah. Okay. So the driver basically comes into the dispatch center like this and runs seven or eight trucks. Uh -huh. um, they're still going to need... Uh, okay, so you're, you're thinking of a, a traditional driver would then become the robot controller. Yeah, get on the phone. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, or he'll you're, just be out, and people like this will do that. Um, it's one of their options. We've definitely hired some truck drivers here that are in our call center now. Right. <laughs> but there are no robot trucks just yet, right? Uh, there, there are some. Yeah, there's, okay. not, there's not a lot yet, but it, it'll come fast when it comes. But then the capital requirements are, are mm -hmm. high there. Yes, for sure. And um, the market has to be tested, I guess, and whether that will actually... Happen. Yeah, and my bet is it happens, and that's um, I'm theoretically going to be disintermediated when it happens. But there's always places, there's always room to go. We're a call center; we can go any which direction. Sure, we can um, pick the robots up on the side of the road when they need fixing. We can do whatever as a call center. So. <laughs> and and certainly they will break down. Yeah. Um, and the robots need humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. <laughs> uh, but what what would be driving this? I guess. There's a cost to having a driver in a cab, mm -hmm. certainly. Big one. And, well, the robot trucks are also not, not cheap, and, and the capital cost there and the amortization and all that is not cheap either. Um, so we'll have to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not planning to be the robot owner. Right, right. <laughs> it just says you're not the truck owner either, mm -hmm. currently. Right. So but I think a light on your feet and adaptability is... We're just going to have to figure it out. Yeah, I think you're you're really positioning yourself on the, the human part of the puzzle there. And that's my passion anyway. Yeah. And that's why I write books and coach and do, I mean, that's my passion anyway. Right, yeah, I know. I saw that you, yeah. of course, uh, have a book. Tell us the growth story, though, for the next five years. Is 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 this sector growing? Uh, I would guess it is, but oh, for sure. who, do you, who do you compete against, in a sense? Oh, well, there are much larger brokers than us. Um, for sure, the um, XPO, Coyote Logistics. There's a lot of a, a lot, lot of folks out there. Yeah, absolutely. And our industry is consolidating. I mean, if I don't get three calls a week, someone looking to buy the company, it's it's rare. But clearly, uh, that's not your goal at the moment. Well, this is this is fun. I don't, yeah. I don't need to. <laughs> what would I do then? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And and I think you you have a vision of where you want to go. I do. And I have a, a lot of people you know, using this company as a vehicle to improve their lives and the lives of those around us. We're really bringing up a community here, um, and it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how big could Barton become? Well, that's a little bit scary to think about because we could see within a year this building being full also. Um, and I've never been very good at predicting it because I've outgrown three 
this will be my third building if we outgrow this one. Um, someone else should be in charge of predicting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, it, we, it echoed when we walk, it walked in here, right? We yeah. went from 3,000 feet to 15,000, and it just echoed, and we're going to mm-hmm. fill it. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Well, what's driving that growth, in a sense? Is it is it because you're positioned at the human connection and... There's so many of those problems out there that, that no, people I are just giving them I think at the end you. of the day, people like to do business with people. People they like. I certainly do. Yeah, well, I do too. Uh, <laughs> but how do, you, how do you project that out? How does the market find out about you and We've understand got a, that, that you know, dynamic? We've a group here dedicated to, um, to bidding, you know, the, the big bids of the, the big, the Fortune 100s and the... Um, we're, we come at it at all directions. We play the spot market every day for our clients, and then we also have a team dedicated to to large award, a large awards. Mm-hmm. So we're we're selling, we're making friends, we're we're just working, we're hustling. I guess I still don't understand the market. Um, you know, where do jobs show up? Do they show out show up on somebody's website, and you pull from that, or somebody well, I mean, totally we, dumps it on you? Um, if they have things in their stores or parts in their product that they sell, they have truckload freight. So, I mean, the market, it's huge. It's everybody. It's anybody that has anything that they sell, a thing, not a service, is a a potential client for us. So any manufacturer out there, GM or any of the auto manufacturers or any of the certainly uh, industrial side of things yeah, for sure <clears throat> they have um, a supply heating chain and air conditioning is big for us um, retail um, consumer goods and so they have the option of either uh, giving you a load of freight or let's say even having a discussion about their supply chain mm-hmm. yes and most of them are so big they're not going to give us a load and uh, we have to be able mm-hmm. to handle a substantial amount of freight for them for them to be bothered with us um, and what are we talking about there what's the minimum size uh, 100 uh, trucks or truckloads or well we probably have 12,000 under contract carrier companies so right. we look like a big fleet to these guys and they can flex up and down with their seasonalities and as long as we've got enough of them um, we can keep our fleet busy <laughs> yeah this is this is becoming a little clearer so there's like 12,000 trucks that know about Barton. companies with one to 20 trucks, yes. Mm-hmm. So there may be more than 12,000 trucks. No, a lot more. 100,000 mm-hmm. trucks, let's say, at your disposal or in the market at any given And it's time. our job to know mm-hmm. where those guys are domiciled, where they want to get home to on the weekends, mm-hmm. where their kids' baseball games are, what nights. What It's our job to, to know so when the client has the load, we put the right driver. So how do you keep track of all that? You have a... A system, no doubt. We we have um, a software system, um, and mm-hmm. it takes a lot of human capital to manage the exceptions. So okay. I know the robots are coming. There's some things I'm just not worried about, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would like to see them Uberize the the Walmart appointment process, for for example, right? It, there's some mm-hmm. things that are um, if you miss the the appointment by a half hour, your truck's sitting for a week. That's going to cost a robot or a human. You know, it, right, right. There's some things that um, are, are going to need people. So there's some <laughs> some imperfections in the market there as oh, far as... The driving from point A to point B is 10% of it. Yeah. 
And the rest of it is scheduling that appointment. Scheduling it, receiving the tender, um, scheduling it for correct days, um, working out the receiver within a window. Um, the receiver and the shipper are not always on the same page. Sometimes the receiver doesn't want it for two weeks. The shipper wants it off their inventory. It's a mess. It's always a mess. <laughs> and then what, what if you're dealing with even something smaller than a full truck load? Mm -hmm. uh, it's even how, more how do you break that down? It's um, hugely complex. Yeah. And it's however we have to is, is the answer. And there's no, if there was a fast answer to that, um, we wouldn't be needed. So there's lots of details that have to be taken care of and lots of human touch that, that goes on. Right. And a lot of it can be automated. I mean, the driver's calling in their updates or, you know, just putting a tracker on the truck. And there's a lot that can be automated. And there's so many exceptions and it's just all day long. <laughs> if I'm a shipper and... I'm expecting a load. Um, do I have a website where I can go to and see the truck approaching and it's, it's got um, a tracker on it and that sort of thing? In some cases, yes. But you're probably not going and looking unless you're already in trouble. So mm -hmm. um, it's our job to be letting you know ahead of time and proactive. Otherwise, things are just showing up. The, the stuff yeah. is in such mass quantity unless you're shutting down an assembly line. <laughs> And it's always, uh, these days, just in time. As you're trying to have the shipment there just in time to feed into the That's supply the chain. Theoretically, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would you say that most um, manufacturers are, are doing it that way these days? Yeah, I think. Just in time. They're not stockpiling it. And no. I mean, depending on their strategy for long-term, different policies that come down the pipe and stuff, we see all sorts of varieties. But if you had a, a, con a conversation with them about their supply chain, it would be all about uh, just in time, I guess. And um, not really. It's whatever's whatever they're facing at the time. They're expecting the tariff to do this, or they're and they're gonna um, stockpile, or they're not going to, or they're you know, they're doing layoffs. It's whatever's yeah. going on at the time. And we've I've been in business twenty two years now, so it's it changes. Yeah. So <laughs> this is this is June the fourth. 2019. And one thing in the news, of course, is possible tariffs between U.S. and Mexico. How do you, how do you view well, that? Well, our how clients are talking about it. They're, um, they're expecting it to cost this or that. Um, we, don't, we don't have a whole lot of direction on, on whether we don't see a slowdown. So. In any case, they'll still have freight. Yeah, they'll have a little less profit and they're going to have freight. People are going to buy things. So. Yeah. So, you talked about the the full truckload side of it. You talked about uh, rail. Uh, you talked about air freight as being all part of a bigger puzzle. Mm -hmm. How do you think about those those different pieces? Well, full truckload is our bread and butter. And That's your mainstay. Yeah, and it's um, the bulk of how freight moves in this country. So. What it's about the least expensive? I rail, but rail is so slow. I mean, you really have to have. Plenty, plenty of time. Like full train loads, even of. And you have to have three or four weeks. And so supply chains don't react well to that. Not at all, no. <laughs> but there are some things it works well for. Yeah, well, bulk coal, yeah. I guess, or yeah. oil, or. Right. It's okay if it sits in the rail yard for a week. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are refrigerated rail, I guess, but uh, that's. It's a little dangerous, yeah. <laughs> a little difficult, yeah. yeah. We do do um, reefer freight, so we we haul refrigerated over the road. What about produce from... It's prime <clears> season <throat> right now. We Mexico. We deal with it every year, yes. 
Mexico, California, wherever. Yes, and so wherever it's happening, um, the capacity dries up, and all the trucks are going to the more expensive mm -hmm. paying freight, and some of the, like the onions and watermelon, they don't need the refrigerated. So things that have been hauling your regular freight all year, the capacity will just dry up if you don't have a great relationship um, with your trucking company and nine other months of the year to, to keep them busy, um, you can lose lose freight and lose customers and lose carriers. Um, certainly shippers that are investing in refrigerated freight uh, don't, what do they do with it in the winter? The refrigerated? The refrigerated um, trucks. Well, those refrigerators trailers. can also heat, so things that oh, can't okay. freeze and things, uh, and they can be repurposed to a dry van if they need to be. What do you mean by a dry van? A van that doesn't have refrigerated, meaning they can haul freight that doesn't need it. Well, It's yeah. just for a much lower price. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So you've got the cab and you've got the trailer. And um, and if you don't turn on the unit, you can use a tall dry freight. So how does air fit into this picture to sort of expedite? That's, you're going to shut down an assembly line and they've got to have it. So you, and it's extremely expensive and mm. you failed if you're using air or, or someone in the supply chain has failed if you're having to use air, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So... What what percentage of your business would you say would be rail versus... Oh, um, truckload is 98%. 98% yeah. and rail is 1% or something. One and a half, yeah. And air is... Air is 0 .00 like almost something. never, yeah. Almost never, yeah. yeah. We failed the minute. I mean, it's so expensive. You could run three full truckloads for the price of a pallet on air freight. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. What about, you know, the sort of rural versus urban issue? You know, um, you've got a lot of small towns and a lot of, of course, big cities. Yeah, a lot of that's uh, where your drivers come from. From the, the, big, the small towns, yeah. And they're sort of independent operators. They, they own their truck, usually. A lot of them. Mm -hmm. Although they may be... They could be employees. There's a lot of <clears throat> a lot of employees, small town, that work for a big trucking company a big in their trucking town. Company, yeah. Yeah. And they also participate in your system. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and we relate really well to those guys. They would rather haul for us than a computer. Well, it's, it sounds like, um, you know, an amazing story. How, do, how does your, your, let's say, author, your books and your uh, coaching, how does that fit into your um, overall theme that, uh, that you've got going? Well, and our vision for this company is that we're making life better for ourselves, for everyone that touches the company. Um, and to do that, we have to be taking ourselves on and growing. Um, growth of the company requires growth of the people. We can't Absolutely. be stagnant personally, um, that, and that's the crux of it. I mean, everybody in the company participates in self-growth and study, and I'm available as a coach. We do, we do a fair amount of that. So mostly it's aimed internally. To, uh, yes, to and I also have an outside coaching practice that's grown just because I've been asked to. I mean, mm -hmm. I, didn't, um, I didn't go to seek that. Yeah, in fact, I, I guess I met you at a speaking event. Yeah. Where, um, and again, that was a random request. It's exactly. Just, yeah. What is it we haven't talked about that you'd like our listeners to know about Barton Logistics or about about you? I guess that a growth of any sort requires taking on yourself and and growing growing internally and personally, and it, that applies applies to the greater picture. If my dispatchers aren't growing personally, they they don't become floor managers. If my everybody has has their own journey and if we're not becoming bigger 
on the inside and it's nothing's happening nothing's growing <laughs> right so how many employees do you have at the moment we're about 50 right now but you're seeing over the we, next year we have or two five starting in the training center it's today the fourth five started this morning <laughs> in our new training center i haven't met them yet right. um and there'll be five starting right behind them they'll be in the training center four weeks and we'll and that's all we can fit in there and we're a little bit west of san antonio here pulling from Kerrville, Bandera, Medina, Hondo, Pelotas, you know, the west side of San Antonio. Are a lot of them moving physically here or are there sort of commuting? A lot. The quality of life is really high out here. It's just been difficult to find a place to make a living. So when someone finds a way to make a living out here, moving here is usually not not the problem. Yeah, in fact, yeah. it's it's, it's part less, of the less expensive mm-hmm. to, to live out here. Quite a bit. And when we are having to recruit talent that's not an entry level that we need, and generally the Hill Country is part of the draw. Well, great. While I was at Barton Logistics, I also had a chance to meet with Chris Wilson, who's the Director of Operations, as well as Jacob Hatcher, who's the IT Manager. Many thanks to Mandy Barton and her staff for welcoming me to their facilities. A link to Andy's book is available in the episode show notes. And join us next time when we'll again consider the story of an organization and its performance. So long for now.